Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey kids, welcome to the podcast. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks. And sitting next to me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey there, everyone. <laughs> we were going to, I don't know, take it down a notch. Yeah, Maybe do- mellow out with a couple guys from... Born in 1955. Yeah, a couple guys who, you know, they, they sort of had that typical experience of the uh, growing up during the whole counterculture movement, tried college for a while, decided it wasn't for them. They both are college dropouts, and yet they both managed to have a, you know, a, a somewhat significant impact on the tech world. Well, you know, if you use a Microsoft product or an Apple product, yeah. Yep. That's we're, a pretty minor impact. We're talking here about uh, William Billy Gates and uh, <laughs> Stephen Paul Jobs. <laughs> Paul. Yeah. Yeah. That's his name. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, yeah, both of these guys, uh, you know, they've been uh, they've been sort of grouped together for a very long time. In fact, there was even a movie uh, starring Noah Wiley and uh, uh, Anthony Michael Hall called Pirates, Pirates of Silicon, Silicon Valley, Valley made about these two. And, you know, really when you look at them together – Yes, they were, they were both born in the same year. They were, uh, they both dropped out of college and they're both huge people in the tech industry. And, so and, there's no wonder that they And they both founded their, their own yeah. companies in 1975. Yeah, there you go. So both when they were 20 years old, they, they founded a company. 
dropped out of college to to found a company. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I've just lost them. I've never found them. No. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've not yeah. been very fortunate in finding companies either. So anyway, so we were thinking about uh, starting with Mr. Jobs. I was, and um, there are a lot of interesting parallels, but I think the more interesting parts are sort of the places where uh, Jobs and Gates are, are are not alike. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll start with Jobs. Okay, so came from you know, born in California and went to school. Uh, you know, didn't seem to be a huge um, uh, enthusiastic student. Uh, <laughs> I guess you could say. Um, but he did go to some uh, Hewitt Packard electronics uh, lectures that that he really got interested in. Um, that's where he met a, a certain fellow by the name of uh, Stephen Wozniak. Oh yeah, the yeah. Woz. Yeah, uh, Jobs actually worked at HP for a while. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm he doing. did. And uh, they, the two of those guys, went to uh, Atari. Right. Yeah. Um, um, between his HP experience and his Atari experience, he did attend. One semester of college. Um, <laughs> yeah, he went to uh, he went to Reed College yes, in did. Oregon, which uh, is famous for its counterculture or semi-famous for its counterculture. Yes, oh, and we have to mention something. We oh, had yeah. a specific request oh, for yeah? this podcast. Okay. Yes, our our colleague Josh Clark wanted us to point out that one thing that sets Jobs apart from Gates is that Jobs apparently dropped acid. Uh, so <laughs> this is according to our f- colleague, Josh Clark. You can direct all ire at him. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, from what I understand, he even, um, after he dropped out of college, went to India for a while to explore some spirituality. And, yes, and, and so and he was really into, you know, learning more about uh, the spiritual side of life. Sure. And, yeah. He's, he's definitely, he's uh, considers himself a Buddhist. He's, yeah. Um, yeah, he's very much in touch with that part of his life, which is kind of interesting if you, Learn a little more about his personality because it doesn't seem like the typical, I don't know, Buddhist sort of uh, approach to life. No, I would say not. But we, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We right. should uh, we should go a little more slowly, I guess. Yeah. So so Waz and uh, and Jobs are over at Atari and they're designing video games. And after a while, uh, Jobs gets this crazy idea. He thinks, Hey, you know what we should do is build a computer that could be used in the home. Because up to that point, computers were pretty much these enormous devices that really existed only in the realms of the government and large universities. Yeah, and uh, the people who were interested in ideas like uh, like Jobs and Woz were at this point were hobbyists. Yeah. We're talking Radio Shack, boxes of switches and diodes and electronics that you wired together to make a very rudimentary machine. Yeah, the, like the Altair. Yes, so, which we'll come back to. Yes. So – so Jobs ends up uh, convincing Wozniak that, hey, this is a great idea. Let's actually try and do this. Because here's here's the other interesting thing about uh, Jobs is that um, he's a brilliant man. There is no denying the fact that Jobs is brilliant. I mean you sure. can't get around it. Right. Uh, but he is not the engineer when it comes down to the whole Apple story. That would that would pretty much fall on Wozniak's shoulders, at least in the early years. Yeah, I mean, the two of them were both interested in electronics and engineering, but Woz is really the, I mean, he was the phone freak. Uh, yes. He was he was definitely into the technology and fiddling with electronics end of it, where I think uh, for, for Stephen Jobs, it was more a means to an end. Yeah, Jobs, he, Jobs recognized the potential of creating a brand new product market. Uh, and he could, saw that it could be very lucrative. And he knew that Wozniak had the ability to, to bring this into 
life, as it were. So th- together, the two of them worked on uh, building some computers, and they got a local um, computer store interested in their products, and the computer store actually ordered uh, several. I, it depends on the sources you read. I've read everything from 25 to 55 machines. Um, and with the money they made from that, that's where they decided to create the company Apple. Yeah, we're uh, we're in the realm of the Apple One, which was uh, very much the pictures I've seen of it are pretty rudimentary compared to what you would see on your desktop. Um, you know, wooden box, and it's got you know the electronics inside of it, and you'd hook it up to a TV. Um, and of course, they chose being being Jobs and Waz, they chose a very interesting price point. Yes, six hundred and sixty six dollars. <laughs> it was the computer. Of the beast. Yes, yes. And they, they actually sold. They sold quite a few of these machines. Yeah, this was in 1976. So that's a, a pretty good chunk of change. You know, you think today like uh, a $600 sure. computer isn't that expensive, but in $76, it's, that was a, yeah, it's, that was a healthy money. purchase. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, a year after they introduced the Apple one, they go back, they retool it, they, re- and they, uh, introduce the Apple two which was a little bit more advanced, uh, as you would expect, and uh, incorporated some other technologies, including a monitor. And um, this is where my story about computers kind of comes into play, because oh, yeah? my first real experience with computers was with an Apple IIe. Uh, I see. Yeah, I see. So. Well, lots of uh, – I'm, I'm willing to bet that lots of the people listening to the podcast at this point had an Apple II of some kind – in right. their Any in our age range. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> our younger or, listeners, not so much. Or at least uh, they, they know what they are. And, yeah, uh, they've you're probably, probably seen one. Thinking about those giant uh, five and a quarter inch floppy disk drives. Right, yeah. yeah. An those... Oregon Trail and Lemonade Stand oh, and all that man, stuff. Yeah. Oregon Trail. <laughs> uh, nostalgia is so sweet. But this, uh, but the Apple II was really where uh, a lot of people first came in contact with computers. Yeah. And it, it spurred a lot of people to start programming uh, start fiddling around with uh, the idea of having computers on desktops for work or, you know, for their for their home, for educational purposes. And in fact, that's why we had one. My father is an author, so he purchased the computer as a way so that he could, you know, write books and he sure. could store them on disks. And suddenly, you know, you didn't have to worry about a paper copy suddenly being ruined by your five-year-old son spilling coffee all over it. Uh, although I should add that his um, son, being me, uh, did once turn off his computer before he had saved his uh, chapters. And so I am personally responsible for deleting, I think it's three chapters of my father's work. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it was good times. Good so, job. Um, but yeah, within three years of the Apple II coming out, it had earned almost $140 million. I wow. mean, that's a lot of money. And, uh, and so... That's when Jobs and Wozniak decided to uh, to go public with the company. So 1980, Apple right. goes public, and uh, and the shares were I think at twenty two dollars a share when it first went public, and then shot up to twenty nine dollars by the end of the first day. Wow! So yeah, this was a lot of people were really excited about this company, and uh, it was right around this time that IBM started to try and make headway into the consumer market. Now, IBM had been producing machines for years. but Decades. These, and yes, decades, exactly. So these are these machines, though, were mainly these large machines used in... Mainframes. Yeah, mainframe computers, not like personal computers. Um, but they decided to try and get into the personal computer business. 
And they were taking a, a slightly different route than Apple and um, using a completely incompatible operating system than Apple's at uh, at certain points. So uh, there were a lot of strong decisions that needed to be made. Jobs had to decide whether or not to stay the course and continue doing what he was doing or to try and find a way to merge Apple with uh, IBM, like some sort of operating system that could work on both. And there were some serious attempts at that for many years, and it never happened, at least not on any large scale. Right. And and for those of you playing at home who weren't around during this time, um, we're talking a lot of this stuff is, is, you know, we didn't have mice really for the most part, for no. a lot of these early years, we're we're talking keyboard commands and the uh, disk operating system that the uh, IBM PC ran on. Um, you know, this it's very clunky uh, for those of you who who weren't there to see it. Um, so some of the changes that came up um, were sort of the result of Apple's successes because they got so large that they started branching off into different products, mm-hmm. um, including some that uh, started using mice. Yeah, um, was that Lisa? Yeah, well, the Apple Lisa, <laughs> uh, many of which are in landfills now, right. uh, were extremely expensive machines. Yeah, $10,000. Yes, exactly. They were all in ones. Um, <laughs> and they, they also they had controlled mice. by mice. Yeah. They did have mice. Yeah. And, uh, there was another product that came out right about the same time as the Lisa that, uh, Steve Jobs, uh, was working on. The, uh, the CEO had put him on the project because he had become one of the, uh, one of the directors in the company, but he was no longer directly in charge of Apple at that point. Are you are you thinking of the the Macintosh computer? That would be the one because we totally skipped over the Apple three. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot about the Apple three. Uh, yeah, well, most people did. Oh, that's right, because the Apple three ended up. Here's the thing about the Apple three: there was a uh, a problem early in the production, and Apple had to recall around fourteen thousand units. And after that, it just couldn't get a grip on the uh, market because no one trusted it. I wonder, can you think of any current products that people have a a growing mistrust about, even though it seems like all the problems have been fixed? Uh, yeah. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of, we can talk about that when we get to Gates, I guess, because there's, there's a, it's interesting that right now there's a product that is experiencing the same problem. Early on, it had problems. They fixed the problems, and yet no one wants to use it. Um, I suppose it depends on your Outlook or oh, nice. your Vista. Yeah, your Vista. Um, anyhow. So back to the Macintosh. Yeah, the, now the Macintosh was really designed to compete directly with the PC. Uh, so now we've got we've got our, our classic matchup here, the, the Mac and the PC. Um, and the Mac had an advantage because it used a graphical user interface. And yes, which was very similar to one that Xerox created, was it not? Yes, it, it was. almost identical. But um, – the, that's funny because future versions of a program called Windows, uh, people would accuse uh, <laughs> accuse Microsoft of creating Windows to essentially recreate the Macintosh experience, and the Macintosh experience was kind of recreating the Xerox experience. Well, you know that shrewd guy over at Microsoft—I can't remember his name. Yeah, we'll get to him. Uh, managed to uh, convince Apple to let them license the uh, micro uh, the Macintosh operating system. Yeah. So that they could build Windows. And and the Macintosh was, at the time of its uh, arrival, a superior machine to the PC. Uh, it was it had a, a better memory, it had a better uh, processor, um, but it was also more expensive. Which, you know what? Hey, some things never change. And um, <laughs> also around this time was the infamous 
Super Bowl ad. Oh, yes. The 1984 Super Bowl ad. Now, this is a Macintosh ad that was very Orwellian in nature. It was this, this very dreary world where everyone was, uh, bald and which, you know, I identify with and, um, <laughs> sitting at desks and stuff. And then you had the female athlete run in and hurl a hammer essentially through a <laughs> giant screen. And it was very dramatic. Well, that was the thing was that, uh, in 1983, there weren't graphical user interfaces, at right. least not on everyone's desktop. So um, that was the point of the ad was that 1984 wouldn't be like 1984, the book. Um, so this was the big introduction for the Macintosh in general was the uh, the famous 1984 ad. Right. And, and it's around this time also that um, Steve Jobs brings in a guy to help run the Apple company to make it you know more successful against the PCs, a guy named John Scully who was from Pepsi. And this turned out to not be such a great decision. I mean, in the end, I guess it was, but but not in the short term. Um, so Jobs brings in Scully, and Scully, uh, by 1985, thinks Jobs is more of a problem than an asset for Apple. Yeah, that that's true. Um, you see, Jobs is... Uh, he's got a bit of a strong personality. Yeah, that's a, that's a light way of putting it. Yeah, a very, yeah. He, he's known for, um, throwing, uh, things and people around. No, he's, he's known for throwing tantrums. <laughs> he's, he's people. known for, he's known for throwing tantrums. Or maybe that's probably the wrong term for it, but he is known for getting very, very angry and making sure people knew about it. Well, it's no secret that, uh, in his days at Apple, when, uh, he ticks someone off and he has been known to fire people, uh, with a very hair trigger sort of yeah. spirit, uh, it's called getting steved, right? Um, and that's that's really no surprise. So here's the thing: was that Steve got steved? Yeah. So yeah, in he 1985, did. he gets steved. Well, um, sort of. He decided they basically had relegated him to yeah. second class or maybe even fifth class yeah, status. They pretty much stripped him of all his power. They put him in a totally different building, which he dubbed Siberia, <laughs> and they put him on meaningless projects and nothing of importance ever seemed to cross his desk. So eventually he said, you know what? I get the message loud and clear. I've done what I set out to do here and I, I'm not getting to do the things I want to do. And if I can't do them here, I'll do them somewhere else. So he took a little bit of a break. He, he he resigned from Apple, and then he founded the next corporation. Yeah. Now, uh, Steve had been working on some different uh, educational projects at Apple, and Next was designed, or at least conceived in in Steve Jobs' head, to be an educational computer system. Right. Um, and it was more advanced. It was supposed to run cross-platform on different processors, um, and they actually did. They produced hardware. Um, an actual a box plus an operating system. Right. The problem, though, was again the computer, the physical computers were considered. A lot of people considered them to be too expensive, so they never really found a foothold um, in the market. I mean, they sold some, but they didn't sell as many as they needed to. And eventually, Jobs made the decision to get away from hardware and concentrate mainly on software and operating systems. Although that uh, machine was pretty sexy looking, it was kind of board cubish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, at Apple, things were going downhill, and that's putting it very mildly. They had come out with a whole string of products that didn't make any sense. Um, model numbers, the quality of the, the box, the actual computers themselves, they were not always... Uh, they, didn't meet, they didn't meet the earlier standards that no, Jobs had no. demanded back when he was in charge. And then, so a decade goes by. 
And, uh, and by 1997, Apple is on the brink of bankruptcy. They, the company purchases, uh, ne- the next corporation, which, you know, now Steve Jobs is now back under the umbrella of Apple. And in fact, Jobs makes a move and essentially rests control <laughs> back so that he's in charge of Apple again. And I'm not, I'm not so certain that, that Gil Emilio was very uh, sad about that. He seemed to be uh, sort of – he seemed to be sort of happy with that because I think, um, you know, where Scully was not exactly thrilled with uh, Jobs' outlook on the on the computer company, I think that uh, he had convinced Emilio that he could do the – you know, do the work necessary. And I think – well, a lot of people uh, at the time said that uh, Apple didn't buy Next. They bought Steve Jobs back. right. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not million. as surprising. Yeah, it's not as surprising. Um, there was something else, another little project that, uh, Steve Jobs worked on in the, in the meantime, too. Uh, he bought a, a little, a part of the, uh, LucasArts. Oh, yes. Uh, company, the computer animation studio for $10 million. Right. Which, uh, which never amounted uh, to anything. No, well, not under its original name, but it, it changed his name. To a, Pixar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Pixar, of course, being the the movie company that uh, brought us such wonderful things as a Toy Story, A Bug's Life. Um, the Incredibles. The Incredibles. Cars. Well, you know. Finding Nemo. Everyone's got a conquer. Oh, come on. Even even Cars. Okay. So, uh, uh, But, yeah, so they, they were in charge of that. So, yeah, that's Jobs was very savvy. He purchased that company. No, 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 not savvy. He bought it for $10 million. And, uh, of course, in, in 2006, Disney bought it in an all stock purchase for $7.4 billion. Right. That's savvy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, and of course now jobs, jobs is on the board for Disney. So yep. there's that as well. He owns part of Disney. So that's, uh, yeah. That was a good investment. Uh, yeah, that's reasonable. Now, granted, I don't have $10 million to make those kind of investments. No. Otherwise, you would see me totally no. wheeling and dealing. But no. anyway, so 1997, Jobs gets back into Apple. He fires the board and uh, and hires a new board of six members. Um, and then uh, – Completely revamped all the line, the product totally. lines, simplified everything. Um and that's kind of where, you know, that's, that's leading us up to present day. His decisions to really streamline things, make things look really, really sexy, uh, control everything from the ground up. That was, that's kind of what has defined Apple to this day. It's very much a closed system. Um, and Jobs' point of view is that that way he can guarantee quality. So yeah. His system is closed and his machines are more expensive, but they also look really nice and they work. Yep. Um, and, uh, just a note before we, we go to Bill Gates, um, you know, now people are concerned, uh, not sure exactly when this will be posted, but, um, it was announced in December 2008 that, uh, Steve Jobs would not be leading the keynote at the Macworld Expo in January, which, uh, has caused some consternation because he's had some health issues. His yes. death was falsely reported. Yes. And people are concerned now that he is so intertwined with Apple and its future that if he, if something happens to him, if he steps down or if he were, uh, you know, horrors, you know, I hate to say it. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't even make well, myself he, say it. He, he's been know. diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. He had a surgery to remove the tumor um, a year after they discovered it because he resisted the surgery. But uh, And Apple actually got some flack for that because they didn't report that to shareholders. And some people say, well, you know, when, when your CEO has been diagnosed with a, uh, a potentially fatal um, 
illness, the shareholders have a right to know because that could completely affect the the shares of the company. Uh, the other side of that is that it's a private matter. It's a health matter. Um, and that's a sticky situation. But at any rate, uh, he seemed to make a pretty good recovery, although people t- always comment on, you know, oh, he looks thin. Or, yeah, he's lost weight, so people are, are concerned that that's right. a sign. So there's some concern that maybe Jobs' health had something to do with him stepping away. I don't think that that's necessarily the case at all. Uh, it's just one of those unfortunate coincidences that can lead you to a faulty conclusion. Now, granted, sure. that, that, that's not to say the conclusion is faulty. I could be totally wrong, but I'm willing to believe them on this one. Um and I was going to point out one other thing before we move on to Bill Gates because it's an interesting counterpoint. Uh, so the Stanford Social Innovation Review founder uh-huh. once referred to Steve Jobs as um, – or actually to Apple itself as America's least philanthropic company. <laughs> um, and in and Apple in, 90, in 97, it uh, cut a lot of its philanthropic um, programs uh, in, in a way to, to try and cut costs. And never reinstituted them. Man, I had no idea we could talk about Steve Jobs that long. Yeah, neither, got a lot neither of did I. <laughs> well, since we've gone on so long, I'm guessing we should probably divide this up and yeah. have a part two. Let's uh, let's so visit we'll, Mr. Gates in another podcast. Yeah, next week we'll we'll tackle Billy Gates. Before we go, there's one other thing I'd like to share that I think is really cool about Steve Jobs. So what's this amazing fact? So I got I, I, one of these things that I just think is really cool. Um, and it's the kind of thing that uh, a showman like Steve Jobs would pull out. Um, back when they were trying to find a way to turn Apple around, uh, Steve agreed to take a pay cut. Oh, yeah. He now makes, as, as the co-founder, chairman and CEO of Apple, he makes $1 a year. Yeah. In salary. And that was so he could keep his medical benefits. Yes. Uh, of course, he is compensated in other ways. He gets a little stock. Yeah. He's, which got, is he's got some stock, I guess. A couple billion. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's funny because with all the uh, the automakers uh, talking about ways to do, you know, turn the companies around right. and Congress giving them a hard time about it. That's one of the things they've talked about doing is yep. taking a pay cut to a dollar a year. So uh, pretty impressive. A, uh, you know, again, an innovator. Then. Sounds good. Well, until then, check out some articles on HowStuffWorks.com. We've got everything from iPods to Apple Cloud computers on there, and uh, that should keep you nice and entertained and educated throughout the the week before we hit Billy. And we'll talk to you again soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com.
Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.